Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. What is hoodoo? Are there modern shamans practicing it in 21st century America? Do their healing techniques actually work? Greetings and welcome to the 579th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I am Ben and those alternative questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. This evening we bring you uh, an eminent guest on a subject we never really talk about that much. And uh, we welcome your calls this evening. The numbers are 800-449-1240. That's from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada. Or 401-766-1240. That is locally. Also, we will monitor uh, Paul at BehindTheParanormal.com for emails as well. So if you feel like uh, not talking to us with your voice, you can talk to us by typing to us. So it is up to you, Dad. Okay. Dr. Paul J. Leslie is an author and psychotherapist in Aiken, South Carolina, He specializes in creative, resource-directed approaches to working with individuals and families. His books focus on the areas of of psychotherapy, healing, shamanism, and personal development. And the books include Potential, Not Pathology, Helping Your Clients Transform Using Ericksonian Psychotherapy, Get Out of Your Seat, An Average Passenger's Guide to Overcoming Airline Terror, And the subject of our discussion this evening, Low Country Shamanism, an exploration of the magical and healing practices of the coastal Carolinas and Georgia. Currently, Dr. Leslie is the coordinator of the Behavioral Behavioral Sciences Program at Aiken Technical College in South Carolina. His website, www.drpaulleslie.com. So, Dr. Paul Leslie, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Well, thank you. It's a real pleasure to be with you gentlemen today. Oh, it's really nice to have you. So uh, let's let's start from the the bare basics here. So are there really shamans practicing in the American Southeast? American Southeast, I would say there are definitely individuals who are practicing uh, forms of healing and spiritual development that we uh, we call in the Low Country, which is the uh, coastal Carolinas and coastal Georgia, as root doctors. And, uh, yes, I would say that they fit uh, the definition of shaman. Okay, so what kind of practices are we talking about here? Well, everything uh, from uh, medicinal uh, healing, things like uh, herbology, to uh, spiritual healing, which is the use of uh, rituals, sometimes the sacred dances, uh, sometimes um, doing, uh, you know, spells, uh, different kind of... uh, tasks that they give uh, their, uh, I guess we'll call them clients, uh, in order to uh, help them heal. Uh, well, all right, let's, um, it's funny because I, you're bringing back memories in a way, not that I've ever been a shaman in the Carolinas, but uh, Ben's um, um, paternal, uh, I should say maternal grandfather uh, is from an old South Carolina family. And uh, there was an uncle of my wife's who sort of took a shine to this Yankee here, and he gave me a wonderful book on South Carolina legends and folklore. And, th- and that's what really drew us to you when you wrote to us about the show, uh, was a um, uh, very, very interesting uh, sort of subject for us uh, personally, especially. So uh, what is the origin of the tradition that these people use? Uh, well, the origin uh, is, is actually West Central Africa. Um, many, many years ago, as we all know, when the slave trade uh, came in and decimated good chunks of Africa, West Central Africa, particularly the uh, uh, Kingdom of uh, Congo, 
was one of the most powerful uh, kingdoms in Central Africa. And uh, they had a their own kind of unique spiritual view about the world. They held that uh, the worldview that they were a part of nature rather than uh, separate from it. Uh, they viewed that uh, this uh, tradition, which hoodoo comes from, uh, as, as, as a way to interact with uh, you know, the spirit world to you know obtain uh, powers such as healing and then protection. And when it when it came to the uh, new world particularly the uh, coastal Carolinas and Georgia, uh, a lot of the religious aspects had to disappear because the slaves were kind of forced into this Protestant uh, religious uh, worldview by their masters, and so they had to drop a lot of the religious components. However, the magical and healing parts, they kind of held on to. So I look as a hoodoo or conjure, and we call it in the low country sometimes root work, mm-hmm. as a uh, method of magic, but a medium also which uh, the slaves historically used to endure oppression and, and you know, gain protection and create a sense of hope. Well, I remember my uncle-in-law telling me one time that there, and, and he he would brought me, bring me to his cabal, which was a bunch of old retired guys, uh, you know, gather at a coffee shop near Charleston, and we went shoot the breeze because they were all fellows who you know kind of interested in the paranormal and they said that there were there were plenty of um shamans of european descent who also w- were known to be uh, healers and, and he, i heard the term root work or uh that sort of thing and, and uh, have you run into is, is is it all of the african tradition or is there or is there some shamanism of the european tradition as well or do they mix well, in some levels they mix. Now, I also want to point out that before, uh, you know, we, we look at, uh, you know, hoodoo as strictly African in origin, there were also similar practices in uh, colonial, uh, you know, uh, antebellum uh, America. Uh, they had a, a, a group of people who were known as witch masters, and these were employed by uh, white people in colonial era to protect uh, them from witches and illnesses caused by curses. And so they were actually employed in the same manner as the uh, stereotypical African witch doctor, you know, to to add protection. So it it was real interesting to me how reading a lot of the uh, looking down on the African elements uh, of the uh, slave owners and people like that, but there were similar practices found, you know, within their culture. But for hoodoo, I would say it was the, the majority uh, African in nature with elements from uh, the, the colonial uh, Europeans as well as some from, uh, some people conjectured, some Native American influence. Okay. It's funny, uh, Ben and I are direct descendants of two people who were hanged for witchcraft in the 1740s in Connecticut. Oh, well. But, uh, well, you know, the, the, the last uh, witch trial was actually in Lancaster, South Carolina. That's where my wife's family's from. Ooh, synchronicity. Oh, absolutely. Well, we'll have to have a talk with Mom about that. (laughs) Yes, unfortunately, um, Uncle uh, Ned has gone to that great uh, coffee shop in the sky, so I have to uh, wait a while to talk to him. But in any case, it's it's an interesting tradition. Uh, Doctor, how is shamanism in South Carolina and Georgia different from shamanism in other places, say New Orleans or or New England or wherever? Right. Uh, Well, the things I've tried to concentrate on is uh, the, the, the consistent uh, uh, 
similarity because I found that uh, there's there's not at the conceptual level there's not a lot of difference between most legitimate forms of shamanism. I based a lot on Iliade's uh, work way back when, where he put uh, kind of wrote the book on what constitutes a shaman. Is that the you know shaman spirits uh, interact with spirits day to day and they communicate with the spirit world and they can be uh, you know, helpful to ward off evil. They can treat spiritual sickness. They can go into trance. All these kind of, you know, fortune telling divination stuff. So, in practices, in the magic, not a lot. Now, you mentioned like a New Orleans, you know, voodoo with a V. I've been talking about voodoo with an H, but mm-hmm. voodoo with a V is uh, also a religion. They were able to hold on to some of the religious elements of the African tradition because. You know, and then Haiti and the Caribbean and then into Louisiana, that was primarily years and years back controlled by the French who were Catholic. So they, uh, the slaves were able to project a lot of their African deities onto, uh, different Catholic saints, angels, you know, those kind of things. Whereas in, uh, the Southeast, uh, particularly the coastal areas, we have Baptists and Baptists don't have saints and, all these deities. We have Jesus and God, the Father, and that's it. So, uh, you know, the big difference there would be voodoo is more of, uh, has the magic and all, but it also has the religion, whereas hoodoo is a more pragmatic oral tradition of magic and healing. Okay. Where would um, Santeria fit into all this? And for anyone who doesn't know, Santeria is a, is a sort of a, it always struck me as a sort of um, composite religion made up of Christian elements or, or, or at least Roman Catholic elements and you know different uh, aspects of what we've been talking about here. You know, if, and if I'm right about that, does that, is that separate from this or does that fit in with any of these traditions or what? Well, it, it certainly fits in, has uh, differences, but uh, again, primarily uh, uh, an African component, but then really blended with uh, you know Catholicism along with a lot of uh, Caribbean, uh, you know, beliefs that, that have kind of gotten in there. And then, you know, we, a lot of times we think it coming to Santeria coming from Cuba, you know, some of the, the, the beliefs they have. But all of that originated out in the Caribbean where the uh, French were in control uh, until, you know, like in Haiti, they, they were in control until they were overrun uh, and uh, run out. And so they took a lot of their slaves with them carrying a lot of those uh, voodoo-related beliefs into other areas uh, of the United States or of uh, the Caribbean. Okay. Um, I've had some experience with shamans, albeit in Australia and Quebec, respectively, mm-hmm. and uh, they, the one in Australia particularly said, that the, the, whether it be healings or curses, they're really not going. To, and I was I was told I was very fortunate because they usually don't talk to outsiders. But this was not was an odd circumstance. So they usually don't work unless you believe in them. So I said a lot of people who have other faiths, you know, maybe won't be affected by these things. So so the question is, have you found that the healings work, or, or sometimes? Um, or any curses, because I know there's some darkness with some of this stuff, not always. But, uh, so right. w- what's your experience with, with whether or not what the shamans do for people or to people work? Well, uh, let me just real quick put out, you know, since we're talking about these acts, uh, 
think it was uh, Bell, Michael Bell in 1980 wrote out... Michael Bell? He's a a friend of mine. He's the the Rhode Island State historian, if it's the same person. Oh, it... it, it Uh, Not historian, a folklorist. Well, it may be. He uh, he talked about, uh, you know, different acts that uh, hoodoo, voodoo people do, and and he put them into, I think, five categories, and I'm just kind of pulling these off the top of my head, so, you know, forgive me if I get them a little twisted. No, not at all. One one would be a punitive act, so it's punishment. So doing punishment, uh, I think one was, uh, you know, the cause of a problem, uh, curative acts, uh, protection, and good fortune. Now, all of those, to answer your question, all of those type of spells, uh, you know, uh, divination, all those things, yes, there has to be, a uh, a strong component of belief involved, and not just belief on the person who's receiving, but I was told time and time again by root doctors who practice, they have to believe, they have to have that intention, because if, if the person prescribing the, uh, the act, the ritual, all that does not have the faith in it, then they feel that it will be uh, worthless. Okay. Now that well, that corresponds with what I heard. Do, in your experience, uh, have you have you dealt with people who have been or said they've been healed by a shaman, and if so, have these healings lasted? Well, I have. You know, I'm sure there are folks out there. Uh, I've, I've just kind of briefly talked to a couple of them about uh, who were recipients of healing, and, and they, you know, claimed that they did get much uh, help from it, but most of the people uh, who are talked to tended to focus on the punitive aspects, um, and I, I think that may be human nature. We're always going to look at the, the bad things rather than the good things, but uh, it, it's funny. The first I ever heard about root doctors, and by the way, the root doctors uh, essentially came from this idea that you know when they were uh, healing herbally, they would use a lot of roots and flowers, and then the root the term root became uh, used as a talisman that would uh, embody and express a magical spell. Um, so when they were uh, doing all these roots, uh, we were in a talking about uh, therapy setting. I was doing some supervision with some other therapists, and one kept talking about how she had a client who was suffering some severe anxiety because somebody had, quote, put the root on him. And I didn't know what the heck they were talking about. And so she finally told me, oh, it's kind of like a, a type of, you know, witchcraft. And so I, I, I kind of figured that the only way, if his belief was so strong, he would have to find somebody to even just to pretend that the root had been lifted because it, it's just so intense. And so all we could do really is just direct him, you know, you go find somebody who can take it off because no amount of talk therapies going to convince you that you're going to be fine. So this has a quite a good bit of power, uh, even if it's in the, just the mind of the person being affected. Mm-hmm. Well, I suppose that, that, that could be true for any aspect of medicine or, or practice. Or, you know, if, you, if you don't believe it, it's not going to have any effect. I would like the placebo effect. Uh, yeah, that sort right. of thing, yeah. I mean, to a certain extent. Even medication... So I've read to a certain extent, depending on the situation. Mm. In any well, case, I had, re- I had read that placebos outperform most medicines. By the way, indeed, so have I. <laughs> it's true. Irony. Uh, what What are these shamans like as people? Or, or is well, is there well, any one description you can use for all of them or most of them? 
Well, I hate to generalize. Yes, indeed. Because, uh, they're just so different. I mean, people... Now, let me just differentiate. There are people who practice, and there are people who assume the mantle of the hoodoo doctor or the root doctor. So the actual doctors, uh, the spiritual guides, because I believe these people basically took the missing element of the African priest in, you know, when, when they came to the New World. In today's world, they take the world of the, kind of the spiritual guide. Sometimes people go to them for psychic reading, sometimes for, you know, these, these kind of energetic-related healings. Most of them I have met are fairly uh, humble people, and uh, which kind of surprised me, and I guess my stereotypical uh, prejudice was I was expecting to find some some more, uh, uh, I hate to use this term, but devious personalities, but mm. most all of the people that, not all, but most all of them I met were actually good, nice folks who were just wanting to help others. Okay. Well, there we are, I suppose. I have heard, and I, you, you can tell me whether you've heard the same thing, that there are the, is the occasional doctor with an MD who has been through medical school, a standard doctor who will embrace at times some or all of the practices of shaman. Not necessarily in this country so much, but I've heard, you know, there are different parts of the world where that, that may be true. Have you run into that in, in, any, in any number, or is, is it true? Or? Well, I, I personally have not read too much interaction in my area. There have been a, a lot of uh, research here and there about folk beliefs, and I do remember reading and actually talked to a gentleman at a convention I attended where I presented on this topic, and he was uh, telling me that uh, in upstate South Carolina years ago, late 70s maybe, that they brought in uh, with all the different folk healers a root doctor to kind of learn how he, or I can't remember, it could be a sheep, but they're interchangeable in a lot of ways here, mm. but uh, you know, what what their techniques were and that kind of thing because they wanted to kind of have a balanced view of, of what, you know, members of the population uh, believed in and, and hopefully that could be used to, to help facilitate, you know, uh, an understanding of the cross-cultural implications of, of uh, this diagnostic and treatment. So how does one actually become a shaman? Because I, I know in, in this society it's, it's very easy to read like a how-to like guide or whatever and to do whatever. I'm pretty sure you don't just sit down and read a bunch of books and then say, all right, well, I guess I'm a shaman now. So what, what's the yeah. real training? What's the preparation by these people? Well, this is an excellent question because it does seem to be uh, a lot of things. If you go on the Internet and put shaman training, a lot of folks are claiming to be shaman, and if you go to their $3,000 two-week course or, or whatever <laughs> yeah, yeah. shaman, too. Uh, you know, but uh, I have a, a colleague who uh, traveled the world and, and studied with all different shaman, including uh, the, uh, the Kalahari, which is one of the oldest living traditions, uh, you know, almost... Yeah, the Bushmen, yeah, yeah. And uh, he, uh, he's, he has some very definite answers about shamanism and all of it is that you have to go through an ordeal there's an ordeal there's not a seminar admission it is uh, you know a, a, it either happens spontaneously or you have to go through a lot of struggle now 
in my area of uh, the, the low country, I found uh, some similarities between uh, other shaman cultures, like in Siberia, the Boryat, uh, which is in southern Siberia, if lightning strikes at a certain time when a baby is being born, they say, well, that baby is destined to be a shaman. I found that to be true with a lot of uh, the research I've done. The uh, Yurok in uh, northern Siberia said if the baby is born with the call covering their face, then that is a sign of a shaman. That is very much uh, one of the signs of a shaman. So it's a gift given from the spirit world rather than something you pay for. It seems almost cultural too. Yeah. That, that's like that's, that's just pretty much what I what I've gathered from from most of our our conversation so well, there far. There do seem to be similarities. Yeah, I mean there's similarities. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. It's sort of like a, like a weird um, what's the word unconscious cultural decision. Yeah, um, you know, Young would call it you know tapped into that collective unconscious mm-hmm. uh, you know ideal and, and so I can I can see that. Well, the, the I've known several. Shaman, but but the two I knew best were, as I say, in in Australia and Quebec, respectively, in two opposite ends of the planet, and th- they stressed two things to me. What, and they were both educated people in, in our sense of the term, as well as being shaman. One is that um, what you see is not necessarily what you get. In other words, the terms they often use are symbolic. They had a real sense of what we might call the quantum multiverse, or depending on part of the quantum uh, hologram, you know th- that kind of thing. And uh, the one in Australia said, yeah, and I was just starting to think about this in the late '70s, and I was in Australia on the line of duty, and and uh, he said, you know, you're on the right track. So that that's what we really do. We talk about the spirits and everything else, and you know that's the idea. But we go from different worlds. To other worlds and bring back what people need, that kind of, and we make the worlds one. I mean, you get the guys talking about collapse of the wave function for heaven's sake, right. you know, yeah. like the physicist would. It was amazing, and the one in Quebec, same thing. He, he was, they were, they, he was telling me about somebody who went into another world and brought back somebody who died here and hadn't died there, and here he was standing in front of everybody again, and right. uh, th- that sort of stuff. So. Uh, but, but th- this leads in, and I want to get into this after the break, because we have a break in about uh, four minutes. But um, start getting into, you know, what is really going on here? Do they understand it? Is, it? is it always what it appears to be in the sense of what anybody would call good or bad? And, and uh, someone of, of a Christian bent might say, or, and, or Jewish, or really any, any standard religion, or even Muslims might call... Um, you know, angelic versus demonic. I mean, what's really happening here? Because I attended a voodoo ceremony in Haiti in 1984, and I was told it was a great honor. But the priest took a real shine to me for some reason, which he usually didn't do with outsiders. And I was invited to this, and it was one of the scariest things I'd ever seen in my life. And it looked awfully familiar to me from working with poltergeist cases and, and exorcisms and stuff like that. And I said, whoa, you know, this is like the same kind of critters. So anyway, um, but before we get to that, and before we get to our break, uh, I just wa- wanted one. I had one question on my list here that I wanted to ask you, Doctor, and that's about rural versus um, urban shamanism, and that, that's because of my number two point that these these two guys told me, which was that the uh, the kind of uh, 
shamanism you practice, or even the kind of religion and the things you believe, really springs from the land. And they really emphasized a connection between the, the shaman and the people and the land. And I, I harked back almost to the Arthurian legend from Europe, uh, where, wherein the, the, the monarch is identified with the land. And uh, even when we have a couple of titled relatives in England, and one is an earl, and he is uh, known as Lord Devon. Because that's the county. The family was, you know, 600 years. They, off and on, they held that title. But uh, it's almost like he's equated with the county of Devon. And I've, I saw that in the shamanic world as well. I mean, so what is the connection between the land and the shaman in, in the the Tradition of, of the south, the southeast that you, we've been discussing this evening. I know it's a weird question, but yeah, and I'll try to make it quick because I know we're getting close to a break. Uh, yeah, well, it's not a hard break. Then. Yeah, okay. The the, uh, the idea of the land of nature that harkens back to Africa, in that everything had a spirit in it. I mean, for example, uh, in Africa, in particular West Central Africa, that you find the, something called uh, Bakulu which were long-dead ancestors. They would often view the ancestors inhabiting uh, the ethereal plane, but also in the land. And then they would actually have a, something called the Sindhi, which are the spirits in the land, almost kind of like, you know, uh, what we would call animism. Um, and then there's Menkisi, who are uh, sometimes found in spirits, found in amulets and, and charms. And all of these are this interface, this almost pantheistic, if you will, uh, view of, of of nature. So even though obviously the slaves couldn't own own their own land as as a lot of lords and people who were control of the land, they were always connected to nature at a much deeper level than their white owner. Mm. So they saw things a little differently than okay. how they interact. Yeah, sometimes very differently, especially today I would think. Well very good. Well let's take our break. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240 and ONWorldwide.com in New England's beautiful and finally thawing out Blackstone River Valley. We'll be right back with our fascinating guest, Dr. Paul Leslie. Stick with us. Hi, I'm Russ Gorman. It was written in the stars, and what was written in the stars will be. Your astrological chart is based on the positions the planets were in on the day you were born, influencing your destiny, past, present, and future. I've had decades of experience doing charts with a large celebrity clientele and others all over the world. The stars are a beacon lighting your future. Your chart provides the answers to questions on health, money, relationships, all your most important concerns. The in-depth guidance that you need is here for you. If there's a windfall in your chart, I'll find it. Call me at 401-333-4048 to order your chart or update, revealing the exciting changes coming up. Let me tell you how to get the most out of your future and keep you moving forward. I'm available for speaking engagements for clubs and groups and for private parties. Call me at 401 401- Three 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 four zero four eight. Benefit through my years of experience. 
And welcome back. And before we get back to our conversation, I wanted to remind you of a few of the charities Ben and I have adopted. We're going to have a new one probably coming up next week, but I want to get all the details first. Uh, certainly, usacares.org, doing wonderful, wonderful things financially for uh, the heroes who have fought in the war uh, against terror in the last, as uh, well, since, certainly since uh, 9-11. Uh, also locally here in northern uh, Rhode Island, and all of Rhode Island, actually, BuildersHelpingHeroes.org, a great organization that is um, uh, a subsidiary of the Rhode Island Builders Association, nonprofit group, uh, and they do. Uh, they actually built a house in Burrowville, Rhode Island, in their local listening area here uh, in 2013, did a wonderful job, and uh, absolutely free of charge to the, to the hero who had, uh, for a Marine who had, uh, lost both his legs in Afghanistan, and it was a very happy ending to that story, as much as it could be. And uh, also, on the civilian level, uh, certainly a youth mentoring connection in Los Angeles, uh, Tony Larray out there doing a fantastic job, uh, using ancient wisdom of, of the best sort that I suppose that we're even talking about this evening, to help at-risk youth, and Tony's doing a great job out there, and I understand he's uh, expanding into New Orleans soon, uh, also involved with, in Peru and other areas where they're, they're going to adopt his techniques to help at-risk youth. Uh, youthmentoring.org, a terrific job out there that Tony is doing. So let's, uh, let's try and support these, these charities. Also, Canadian Veterans Advocacy for our uh, cousins to the north who have uh, been with us in Afghanistan all along and uh, doing great things uh, for UN peacekeeping. And a lot of, uh, of uh, very brave veterans there in Canada have been wounded as well. So let's uh, check out CanadianVeteransAdvocacy.org. Okay, let's get back to our great conversation with Dr. Paul Leslie. And uh, I'll give you our numbers again. I always forget to do that. I only do it once, and nobody uh, says that, that they remember them. So it's uh, 800-449-1240 from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada, and uh, locally 401-766-1240 here in the uh, northern Rhode Island, uh, Boston, Providence area. Give us a call on that line as well. So, Dr. Leslie, let's get into some of the depth here about what, what is actually happening. Uh, let's start, I suppose, with... Um, I, my experience, which has not been good with, with a lot of this, not necessarily shamanism as such, but with people who uh, have been involved in some negative aspects of it. Have, have you ever run into uh, someone who has come to you, say, as, as a patient or, or has come to someone else uh, for psychological help uh, in, in any way who has been, uh, well, um, affected negatively? by what was supposed to have been a healing or or even even a curse or something of this kind is has that crossed your path at all uh me personally no and the only other time was the one i had mentioned uh, right before the break about uh, sure. kind of yeah. hearing someone else's case i have uh, only had one other instance of anything of a uh, of a paranormal issue where uh, a woman who was having anxiety uh was uh she traced it back to 8 years old seeing uh, a ghost and being brought up in a haunted house, and so that made her very anxious, and she traced it back to that. But um, now I do hear, uh, not directly with me as, as clients, but I have heard of people who uh, they do they feel like something has happened to them, and they will seek out the the hoodoo root doctor to uh, to kind of offset a curse by someone else. But uh, as, as far as people coming to therapy, number one. I have found, and it's so funny to me, I have found that they will go to the, the root doctor, they'll go to the psychic, they'll go to their priest, they'll go to their friend, they'll go to their uh, doctor, 
And then when all that fails, then they'll come to the therapist. You know? ah. So it's the, <laughs> sure. the, whole, it's the whole stigma about therapy, but I could do it probably a couple hours on that. Yeah, <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> No, no, certainly understand. No, no, I mean, I, I've seen that that thing happen, uh, sort of thing happen again and again. Yeah, I worked in uh, as a student and as as a stu- as a seminary student and as a, a graduate student in psychology. I worked in a couple of psychiatric wards uh, back when they were more inpatients than they are today. And uh, no, it's it's very true. Uh, it was often the last resort, and perhaps it should have been the first or one of the first anyway. Um, right. uh, let's get back to um, the actual practices themselves. Uh, what, what comparisons would you make between the practices we've discussed, which essentially came from somewhere else, and uh, the practices of, uh, say, the Native Americans or Aboriginal practices in America? Well, I, I, I would not be uh, 100% qualified to talk about the, the Native American practices, uh, so I want to make that disclaimer before I go ahead and talk about the Native Americans. <laughs> oh, certainly, yeah, okay. Yeah, um, but what, what I found, uh, in, again, in my research and discussions with people is, uh, and, and I, won't, I won't limit this just to Native Americans and shamans as a whole, um, they felt that uh, in the low country, a lot of the root doctors, uh, they are the interface between the spirit world and the physical world, much the way that the medicine man, medicine woman, they feel that same void. Uh, they can... They, uh, communicate with spirits, and the spirits interact in the day-to-day affairs of people, they need a, uh, a mediator. And the root doctor fills the role much the way the medicine man fills the role in the, a lot of the Native American uh, tribes. Uh, the, the idea that uh, if we have sickness, your physical sickness may be really spiritual sickness. Now, I found this in a lot of reading about Native American healing, apart from you know, we, we occasionally get a, a, a cold or a flu, but other than that, a lot of other deep sicknesses they think are spiritual sickness. It's just showing up in physical form as does the root doctor. They say, well, you know, if you've got, you know, whatever serious health issue, it's because you have a spiritual sickness that needs to be uh, fixed. And, you know, trying to, to heal on the physical plane is not the way to heal. So the root doctor has to either journey uh, psychically, if you will, or create a series of rituals and healings in order to enact change on the spiritual uh, plane because the physical uh, is affected by the spirit. Sure. Hasn't there, be, well, isn't there now, a, well, for at least maybe 20, 25 years, a certain respect now by mainstream medicine, including mainstream psychology and psychiatry, a certain respect for something like that point of view, I mean, to a point. In other words, there seems to be an understanding, which was beginning when I was involved in it, that uh, one's psychological state slash spiritual state, if you want to use, depending on what term you want to use, can affect one's physical state. And then that, 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 transpersonal psychology gets into that, too. Um, right. What, what are you finding as far as, as that's concerned? Is, 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 is that point of view being more accepted, regardless of the terms you use? That there's more, the more uh, to a person than physical well-being? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's slowly changing. Um, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on your perspective. Yeah. Um, with the uh, the inclusion of a more and more pharmaceutical intervention, yeah, we, yeah. Uh, with with diagnostic 
uh, criteria and, and, and left brain, uh, you know, ways of doing medicine and therapy, we've, we've actually, in a lot of ways, even though we've gone more accepting, we have actually shifted to more of a, uh, of a medical model. So if you have depression, then it is, it is really due to uh, serotonin issues. Uh, you know, if you have anxiety uh, where you don't have enough acetylcholine, you've got too much norepinephrine, you know, uh, and, and we we're trying to get away because I'll just take the pill and all will be well. But we know that there's more to dimensions, even if we don't get into the spiritual point, the emotional. You know, what, what has happened to you and it's down in your unconscious may indeed be running your nervous system, and that's why you're so nervous, and then you have to resolve that old stuff. But, you know, so, so we're kind of bipolar, if you will. I hate to use that term, but one part of us in the, in the psychotherapy field is, 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 yeah, we're more open to these kind of things, but the other is, no, no, it needs to be evidence-based, peer-reviewed. If you can't measure it, it doesn't exist. You know, mm-hmm. kind of a more of a materialistic, you know, the same kind of stuff that science is grappling with as well. So there's still a struggle, certainly, between the materialist, old materialist paradigm, which is... I don't. From our point of view, has pretty much been blown out of the water by by uh, many philosophical and developments in philosophy and physics, certainly, um, and, and the uh, point of view that is more holistic that that recognizes other aspects to the human, the human, the human being. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Ben had a question. Well, uh, I mean, I, I can understand like psychological like psychological illnesses like depression and all those things, but to play devil's advocate here. Uh, yep. What about physical ailments, like serious physical ailments? Like I'm not sure about uh, here in the Western world, but I know in West Africa, if someone, if a child has polio, that means the mother was cursed, so right. they then, so then the child is then abandoned. I know there's nothing that serious here, but well, when you it, never know. Who it, knows? Yeah, well, that not that I know of at yeah. least. But I, I'm not sure about here in the Western world. But what about serious, serious, serious illnesses like that, where medicine is indeed required? Well, uh, the one thing I have found is that, you know, in the, the, the low country area, it's almost like now you will go to the doctor. But if the doctor isn't effective, then you'll seek out the supernatural. Hmm. But at the, at the same time, if we're not adequately dealing with our emotions, I mean, the more we're learning about the brain, uh, that stuff comes back. I mean, i give you a quick example. I uh, had a client who... Um, had suffered for 10 years with severe fibromyalgia and to the point where she was, I mean, just couldn't do her job. She was debating on having to get on disability. Everything hurt, constant pain, constant trips to the doctor. A doctor says one of the more severe cases of fibromyalgia you've seen. In- well, in the midst of our therapy and utilizing, uh, I also do clinical hypnotherapy, we regressed back to when she was three years old. And when she was three years old, she had gotten abducted by someone uh, away from her parents, some woman she didn't know who was kind of mentally off. And for a couple of hours, she was didn't think she'd ever see her parents again. And that created a an emotional, you know, powder keg that when she went back to her parents, it never quite healed. So the nervous system was still operating, seeing the world through this fear of I could always be lost, I, I'm in danger, which, which, you know, just you create that level of stress, it starts to cause problems with your immune system. So fibromyalgia affects that tension from anxiety, affects the fibrous muscles in the body. Once she was able to get all the emotion out, 
heal that part, within a couple of weeks, her fibromyalgia had cut by 50%. So we're not even paying attention, as I think we could, to the emotional plane, let alone the spiritual, if, if, mm. if such an area even exists. Yeah. Doc, we're burning up the hour very quickly here. I want to give you a chance. Let's do it right now before we lose the time. Give you a chance to talk about your books, your website, what you're working on, and where people can find out more about you. Uh, easiest place is my uh, website, drpaulleslie.com. My books are available on uh, Amazon. I have, uh, as you mentioned at the top of the hour, I have uh, books on therapy, books on uh, personal development, and certainly low country shamanism, which we're talking about this hour. And, uh, you know, check there for my blog. My, uh, you know, most of my writings are actually more about therapy, but, uh, you know, some changes, mm-hmm. my new, uh, you know, kind of odd interest. Uh, you don't know where that's going to take me. Well, I may read the one on flying. Uh, I love flying. It's airplanes I can't stand, so maybe I'll read your book on that. <laughs> But uh, no, I, I, I will assure everyone, we checked out uh, Dr. Leslie very thoroughly. He really is a doctor. He really has uh, a real degree. <laughs> he's, a, he's, a, he's a good writer, and uh, so, so we encourage you to check him out. It'd be, you wouldn't believe the people who want to be on the show who uh, have you know, mail-ordered degrees, and they're really not do- you know, and You have to be careful of that kind of thing. Yeah, it's, it's so easy to just write into like a website and be like, oh, I'd like a doctorate, please. Well, exactly. Yeah. yeah, if you can afford it. Yeah, right. So, uh, doctor, your colleagues, now you don't, obviously you don't practice this, but do your colleagues uh, think you're wasting your time or, or look askance at, at, at your work in the, in the folklore field in this way, or or do they think did they understand the value of it? Um, yes to all the above. <laughs> yeah, okay. Again, that's difficult to generalize, yeah. 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 Uh, well, you know, it's interesting. A couple of weeks ago, I presented at the uh, South Carolina Counseling Association conference, and, you know, when I usually do presentations, it's on everything from, you know, resource-directed therapy, hypnosis, you know, all these things that I you know, normally do. But I said, this, this year I'm going to do something different. So I had done this research, and I uh, you know, gave a presentation on what I call voodoo therapy, what I learned about psychotherapy from studying low country root doctors. And they, hmm. they uh, put it at the, the last day, at the latest hour. And, and if you've ever been to continuing education, you know that, you know, toward the end of the, people get burned out, they kind of, hey, whatever, I'm going to hit the bar early. Well, I had a packed house. And I think, number one, it was just something so different. Number two, just mentioning these kind of different spiritual beliefs, it brings people out. Even people that well, I don't really believe in any of that stuff, but you're mm-hmm. here. Yeah. You're interested, you know. So yeah. it went over very well, too. So well, there is support. Well, you'll appreciate this because on, on several occasions, not for a long time now, but I, I have addressed groups of psychiatrists on mm-hmm. the subject of um, the paranormal. Because I've had many of them tell me privately that they're more skept- that I'm more skeptical than they are, because they tend to run into this very often in some form. And I said that you know when I was working in, in psych wards, I would very often get the impression that, that uh, particularly people who've been diagnosed uh, with schizophrenia or psychoses such as um, um, well the multiple personality thing, dissociative identity disorder, that kind of thing, were, were in some cases. I just got the impression that they were experiencing, you know, real worlds that we weren't somehow, and it wasn't necessarily some sort of imbalance or, or, or you know, chemical uh, mix-up or whatever. And uh, I would, in the audience, that you, know, you could see the eyes turning red and the steam coming out of the ears, you know. Right. But a number of them came up to me 
privately at at the end or after after the lecture and and uh, said, you know, it's funny. I have often had the same impression, but if I said that, I'd lose my job. Right. So there there are a lot of politics and a, a sort of a medical political correctness and this sort of thing, at least in some cases. So perhaps uh, you and I, in a, in a funny way, have had similar experiences in that vein. Yeah, yeah it, it sounds like that. Although, like I say, I think part of us, uh, part of the community is becoming more open to things. I mean, just that, like, prescribing mindfulness meditation. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is the new thing now, and the, and the research shows how much mindfulness meditation, basically Buddhist meditation, can help heal the brain. Now, 20 years ago, that, that wouldn't even gotten started. I mean, you know, that just wasn't a viable uh, thing that the, the majority of people would, would uh, incorporate into their therapy or treatment. So I think it, 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 it's changing, but it is a lot easier when you're getting funding and things like that to have your numbers because I can't measure therapeutic outcomes of a lot of these things that we're talking about. No. So, that's an issue. Do you think, or, or well, have you ever run into, or know anyone that has run into any backlash from the, the big pharmaceutical companies when they hear about all these these uh, these two these new um, homeopathic methods? Uh, I've had uh, some people that uh, I talked to in the past uh, who, uh, as far as backlash, you know, nothing like they're trying to go out of the way to you know, destroy them or anything, but. Uh, tends to be, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of blacklisted maybe sometimes from certain speaking engagements and, and that kind of thing. It, it, it's not not a blacklist like you're a horrible person, but, well, you know, there's just not enough research on it is the usual thing. And that may be true, to be fair. But then, you know, research gets funded based on the whims of a lot of times the people who control the purse strings. So if sure. they're just not at all interested in, you know, different types of treatment, then, then that a lot of times may or may not get the funding. I feel like research for the psychological field, or at least from what I've noticed, from a little I know of it, or the, what I took in college at least, it's very hard to do research on psychological topics, mostly because it doesn't fit the modern scientific method. Because you, it's extremely, extremely hard, especially with with emotional problem, emotional issues. That is to uh, repeat certain things. I mean, like look right. at Freud. Like he, most of his observations just make zero sense today. Mm-hmm. Well, I would uh, I would disagree with that last comment about make zero sense. I would say thirty percent. <laughs> okay, that works. <laughs> well, I, no, I, I see the point that many people of a scientific mind would have. I mean, there is great value to disciplined thinking and yes. peer review, and you don't oh, yeah. have that in paranormal research, really. I mean, and, and perhaps knowing some of the peers, it's a good thing, but mm-hmm. it, it's, a, it's a matter of a, a, a lack of disciplined thinking and uh, peer review in the sense of sharing information and having it reviewed by others. Uh, you don't often see that. Whenever I hear the term independent researcher, which is a common term among our crowd, I suppose, including ourselves, I suppose, uh, th- that can be a red flag for anyone of, of, of a disciplined mind. And, uh, you right. know, I can almost understand that. But on the other hand, uh, being closed-minded to new ideas is, is, is not in the, in the sci- best tradition of science, in, in my opinion. That's true. I, I just, as, as someone who's an observer, I'd like to see a different scientific method or, or an updated version of it. Yes, well, one specifically that is perhaps, for the, the yeah. human sciences. Exactly. Right. Yeah. 
What's, well, what say you, Dr. Leslie? Well, I'd say uh, when we're measuring outcomes, like the client doing therapy outcomes, you know, that's easy to measure. But in order to measure those outcomes, you have to be doing a certain theoretical orientation in mm. your therapy. Mm. Yes. And the best, if not most of the, the times I've knocked it out of the ballpark, sometimes things just popped in my head. And it came from outer space, so to speak, or inner space, I should say, the right hemisphere of the unconscious. And it just comes out, makes no sense. Like asking, you know, they're talking about this kind of thing, and then suddenly ask if they'd ever bake fudge brownies with a grandparent. And that led to a whole conversation that, that transformed the session, which transformed their lives. And how do you measure that? You can't. Exactly. You can't measure that. Yeah. So we're already limited because we're only using one uh, theoretical orientation. And as, as Ben said, you know, the X in any equation, if it's a human, it's already set up. It's not going to be consistent in, in, in a lot of ways because we're, we're so surprising as a species. In the, the human dynamic, whether it be shamanism involved or anything, or even in your work as a psychotherapist, there are other factors than just you uh, or the shaman and the... the uh, the subject or the patient. Uh, there is the, the family, uh, the social group, this sort of thing. What sort of, um, have you found, uh, I don't know whether it be opposition or um, static or whatever, among people who have used shamans in, in your area? Uh, do you find that there is opposition? Or, or is there what we see, which is more acceptance of that sort of paradigm in society in general? In other words, people seem to be more they're less skeptical about the paranormal in general than they used to be, and uh, shamans are almost, um, well, I, I, the way people talk about them in general seems to be with, with some respect and this sort of thing. Are you finding that, uh, and, and what is the effect on, well, uh, on the person would, who was the, uh, the recipient of the, of the services, so to speak? Yeah, I, I would also, uh, as answering that, and just, you know, I'm in, I'm in the southeast, so there's always uh, been uh, more of a conservative element here. And, uh, you know, if I was in California uh, and say, oh, I went to my shaman today to heal me, there may be more of, a, of an acceptance. Yeah, night and day. Now, yeah. yeah, exactly. Now you may get the, uh, the nodding, but then, you know, turning the head with the extra roll. You know, oh, yeah. boy, she went to see her shaman, you yeah. know. So it, it, it's still, it's, I don't want to say it's a taboo, but it's, it's definitely not looked upon uh, with the, uh, the openness of other parts of uh, the country, which I think why the, the conjure hoodoo root work tradition is so hidden down here. Well, that's true. Well, you know, New England as well is, is very... Uh, people think of us as, as lunatic liberals here, but, that, but that's only the politics. I mean, there is a certain... Still a certain reserve and skepticism and uh, con I, conservatism of thought that right. is still very much entrenched here, I think. So mm -hmm. uh, people wouldn't often, whereas in California, where we have many good friends and many listeners, people will, you know, routinely would talk about their last trip to their psychic. Uh, very often here, there was a certain reticence about that. So uh, we, know, we know what you mean. I don't, you know, whether the flavor is exactly the same, I don't know. But, but uh, there is a certain resident, re, res, uh, reticence here. And perhaps it is the East Coast, and uh, perhaps it gets um, a little more open that, in that sense as, as you go west. Um, but again, we stress the caution that we might want to um, 
mansion for people who would, would attempt to use these services. And and what would you say about that? How, how if you thought someone, if you knew of someone who was was considering uh, using the services of a shaman, what would your advice be? Whether caution well, or or whatever. Well, yeah, a, a caution, and and you know, it's one thing to approach with an open mind, but not so open that your brain falls out. Exactly. So, well you know, put. If it's if it's uh, going to be something that uh, you're being asked to do things that are against your value system, uh, you know, that might not be the person for you. And that's with any type of, I believe, any type of authority figure. But uh, I would also say if you're going to go that route, I, I would include, you know, some Western treatments as well rather than to, you know, create a dichotomy. It's either this odd, quote-unquote, stuff or this mainstream stuff. Well, I think anytime we create a dichotomy, we eliminate possibility. Okay. Hmm. Now, how much time do we have, Ben? Uh, we about uh, three, uh, about four minutes. Four minutes. Okay. Four minutes. Um, gee, there's a question here I wanted to ask and, and uh, get Doctor Leslie involved. Well, why, why don't why don't we ask it anyway? Uh, this is from Todd, and he doesn't say where he's from, but. Todd from Nowhere writes to us, uh, I would love to see the psychological profile of some of the people you talk about. Uh, you seem like uh, two of the saner voices in a crazy field, talking about you and I, Dad. Uh, do you well, look I'm sure in... Dr. Leslie's sane, too. Indeed. Uh, <laughs> well, sure hold on now. I didn't say that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, do you look into the uh, psychological profiles of people that uh, tell you their experiences? Do you find that the same personality types have paranormal things happen to them? Well, uh, we'll leave that for the next open line show, the last point. But I was I was curious about uh, the question about the sort of psychological profile. Doctor, do you find that uh, there is a similar type of person who consults shaman in, in your vicinity at least? A similar type of person who consults. Um, yeah, similar personality types, or is it any 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 kind of any well, v- I, sort of I variety? Would, yeah, I would w- open it up to where we have a big cultural difference too. I mean, you know, you will find more African Americans entertaining the thought of the root doctor than Caucasian. Okay, you might have more Hispanics open to working with a root doctor than Asian. All right. So I think there's there's a culture element there, but just being open-minded and just being willing to accept possibilities, I would say. Okay, good. All right, well, we're just about out of time. Dr. Paul Leslie, thank you once again for a very interesting conversation, and uh, we'll be in touch. Oh, Paul and Ben, it's just been a pleasure, and I look forward to talking to you in the future, and, and keep up the great work. Very good. Thank you thank so you. much. Have a good one. All okay. Right. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Our announcements. Our public speaking schedule for 2015 is shaping up. The first event will be in Hampton Beach, New Hampshire on, on Saturday, uh, April 18th. That's the Northeast Parafest taking place at the Ashworth-by-the-Sea Hotel. We're scheduled to speak from 1.30 to 2.30 p.m. Other speakers include the great Lauren Coleman, the world's leading cryptozoologist. And for more info, uh, look at... Well, we have links on our own site, BehindTheParanormal.com. Check it out. All right. So on October 10th, uh, we're... October 10th. Oh, yes, we are indeed scheduled uh, to speak once again at the New England UFO Conference uh, at City Hall in Lemonster, Massachusetts. Other speakers will include Stan Freeman, Richard Dolan, and other great UFO guests. Uh, watch more information uh, on our website and also other events and all that good stuff. Don't forget about all the other stuff on our website, podcasts and all of that uh, from both ON 1240 and our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio along with special shows and podcasts. Okay, and please remember the charities we mentioned as well. 
And uh, next Monday, March 30th, here on ON1240 and ONWorldwide.com, we'll welcome Butch Witkowski, a retired homicide detective who uses police techniques to investigate paranormal cases. Mm, that sounds very interesting. And we leave you this evening with a thought attributed to Albert Einstein. Why does this applied science, which saves work and makes life easier, bring us a little happiness? The simple answer runs because we have not yet learned to make sensible use of it. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. And we shall see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of... Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.